0: Welcome to It's a Good Life podcast, where it's all about helping entrepreneurs think, feel, and do better. I'm David Lally, one of the show's producers, and I'm here today to do a follow-up with Brian on what we learned from his interview with best-selling author Vanessa Van Edwards. Vanessa talks all about cues and how we send thousands of social signals every day. Hi, Brian. This is me. I'm sending you a cue to welcome you to your own show. What surprised you? Tell me about the interview with Vanessa. Well,
1: that was a very nice cue, Mr. Lally. You Thanks, had good Brian. good posture. You were smiling, including your eyes. I I felt your voice. You're standing. Oh, I mean, what a wonderful cue! Amazing. That's what I learned from Vanessa. Authentic. <laughs> so, as I mentioned, I was actually surprised. You know, at all the books and podcasts and shows and public speakers on every subject under the sun that nobody's really talked about this stuff before. There's been versions of it. You know, uh, there's people who would say, oh, here's the colors people wear and you can judge that and, you know, read the rooms and those kinds of things. But really the whole dynamic that we talk about is like, the big thing is the energy. You know, and I talked about when somebody yawns, you know, someone else in the room yawns. And she talked about all the different verbal and nonverbal cues that other people pick up on. And she specifically mentioned fear as an example that people lop onto, but there's a whole bunch more than that. And so I just found it interesting that the content she's talking about is timely, especially in the zoom world we're living in today.
0: Uh, Yeah, it's crazy. You mentioned it for all the books and speakers out there. And we run into a lot of them, obviously in this line of business that nobody's touched on this before. Uh, She got into four types of communication or four cues, words, facial expressions, Body language and vocal inflection. They were the four that she spoke to, right? Yeah.
1: I mean, I took a bunch of notes. I have them all here in front of me and, you know, highlighted a bunch of things in the book and just some great stuff. And as a sales trainer, you know, I know how valuable words are. And over the past 26 years, we've been teaching dialogues. And as you know, I always differentiate between a dialogue and a script because a script, something you read, something you rehearse, something you memorize. It's something you do to somebody, and that's old sales techniques where they say this, you say this, they say this, you say this. And the level of sophistication in the marketplace today and the way the younger generations have been raised, I mean, they they were raised with infomercials. They can smell a sales pitch a mile away. So dialogues are very, very powerful because they're designed to have a back-and-forth interaction, and ultimately that the words we use and the quality of the words we use are the difference between making a sale, not making a sale, making a client, not making a client, uh, handling an issue or a customer service problem, and ultimately creating an advocate and building a platform for ultimately can be a referral. I think the words and those cues are essential, as she talked about, and for me, it's been dialogues over the years. You
0: know, I've, I've been with you for years, I mean, 20 years uh, at this stage, and so many of those years, you. one of the things that you do with training programs, is bring dialogues into it. Like you say, I've watched you put hundreds of them together and then meet these people who join coaching, join your training programs. They go from basically not being able to make a living to, you know, moving on to making a fortune because of the words and how they use them, the tone and how they use that. Uh, what did you it make is the difference.
1: I mean, it's huge. And if you start to listen to people who are successful, like if you listen, like I'll give you this cue. The next time Oprah Winfrey speaks, listen to her diction. She's extraordinarily clear in her communication. You listen to people, and that's why it's surprising sometimes when you see people who don't have great diction and so on and so forth. Like How are they successful? Well, because their communication style is extremely authentic. Their words are authentic to them, and then ultimately how they reach people. You know, Zig Ziglar used to say, speak at the sixth grade level so the PhDs will understand it. We've seen this in politics. We've seen this like people who've reached people because they're able to communicate in such a way and use words that people can fully understand and fully embrace. Words are powerful.
0: We were probably all raised to in a way to think the opposite too, with the flowery or complex language was associated with being clever, smart, like, Oh, the expert when the truth is, and it's always staggering. The one who can make it most simple and most clear wins. you talked
1: about Uh, it when, when you first came to work for me and I would, Be in an event, and I would show a video or a slice of a movie or something. And I would explain in detail what they were about to see. And then people would have this collective experience. They'd all laugh at the same place. They'd gasp at the same place. And they'd all get the point and cheer at the end. And you were like, hang on a second here. Like, isn't that, you used to think, I mean, you used to say, like, are you patronizing the audience? And I'm like, no, I'm explaining what the experience I want them to have. And so I always used to, in a presentation when I was one on one with customers, I go, Now, I'm going to talk to you as if you know nothing. So when I was selling homes, I'd go, I'm going to talk to you like you've never bought a home or sold a home before. And people would go, no matter how sophisticated they were. And so then I would use words that were fundamental words. And the ability to be able to use simple words or simple communication techniques to explain abstract concepts and make them concrete is what makes somebody brilliant. When somebody uses a $10 word to explain a $5 word, great. I know you got a great vocabulary, but now I'm just confused. And most people won't raise their hand and say, I don't actually know what that means. And people do this all the time. Like I was at this event one time and it turned out to be an unintended political fundraiser. And that's not why, that was not why I was there. And so this person kept using the phrase that politicians use, special interests. Well, there's special interests and all the special interests in Washington. So I started making a note. I'm on the napkin, and you know how OCD I am. So I'm there. So 14 times in this presentation, this guy said the word special interests. And now I'm asked to come up and somehow do a slightly inspirational message to the people. So I came up afterwards, and I, I, I was sitting next to the guy. And I said, just so you know, they have no idea what you're talking about. Sorry, sorry? I said, just so you know, they have no clue what you're talking about. And so I went up, and this was a 30,000... Dollar a plate meal, so people who can afford thirty thousand for dinner, pretty sophisticated people. And I said, tonight's thirty grand for your chicken dinner. Now they're all laughing. I said, I will give anyone here thirty thousand dollars if they can properly communicate to me the term special interest. We heard the special interest tonight. In fact, fourteen times from the previous speaker. I will give anyone in this room thirty thousand dollars. I'll buy you dinner if you can clearly communicate special interest and of course it's a fairly high net worth egotistical room and a couple of people raise their hands and at the end of the day like it was so off and at the well, the first guy that got up to speak he goes after he said it out loud he goes that's not really it is it <laughs> <laughs> so here it is highly sophisticated room mm-hmm. people who can afford $30,000 for a chicken dinner this guy's using an inside the beltway term that's used all the time but nobody has the chops to stand up and say what the hell is that and so the emperor has no clothes, and people are afraid to ever say it. And that's why the use of language, the use of words, these dynamics of social cues, the more we break through it, that's when it happens. And, and I will say this, I've made a living by not patronizing an audience, but by communicating. Like we, we, what we're doing right now, everybody listened to this interview with Vanessa Van Edwards on a couple of days ago, and now we're talking about it because we're breaking it down into smaller, bite-sized pieces with a few stories and illustrations that make it kind of, okay, great, I I really get that now.
0: No, that's the easiest way, I think, if I ever have to describe what I do uh, with Buffini Company, and for you, although it's not easy to describe, but I've certainly used that, that I work for a guy who takes uh, the complex and breaks it down into usable formats, no matter what it is. And it's what you do all the time. You've said yourself the amount of stuff you end up throwing away on the cutting room floor, because it was too much and you keep bringing it down, keep bringing it down. Three main points, you know, because it's all people can handle.
1: Or I read a book and I will I communicate it in five minutes. Here's what I got from the book. And people go, great. And by the way, I'm kind of too busy to read the book. It's why I gave up reading. It's brilliant. <laughs> I just get your, your cliff notes <laughs> way
0: better than the book. Thanks very much. <laughs> what did you make of the second cue? Facial expressions. Was there depth to that part of it?
1: Yeah, I, I think so. I, look, you know, so much of our communication right is is nonverbal and I told her was well, she like that when you're happy and you know tell your face a great example of this is when salespeople start a buffeing company the first thing we have them do when we train in the early days is we actually will have a mirror in front of them so they can see themselves now you don't want that long term because you only become preoccupied and, and all that kind of good stuff but in the early stage because when you have a smile in your voice, there's a level of engagement that's different. Well, you cannot have a smile in your voice if you don't have a smile on your face. And so when we would put a mirror there in front of a salesperson, and even though they know it's there, you kind of forget what's there, they would catch themselves. And all of a sudden they're like, just want you to know how happy I am to be talking to you. And you catch yourself. So now, again, there's long-term reasons why you don't want to have a mirror in front of your face all day long, because then you forget who you're talking to and so on and so forth. But I know it's true. I know it's true, and people do pick up on that. And in the world we live in today, that's so visually dominant. People just don't realize that their face sometimes does not communicate what their inner feelings are. And they're feeling a certain way, but they're communicating differently with their face.
0: The next cue she talked about was body language. I've often heard you say that 70% of communication is from our body language. How important really is it, especially for entrepreneurs, right? We're talking to an entrepreneurial audience here.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think like you lean in and it means something, you lean back. And uh, I've had this, I've had this. So let me let me throw it on its head. And I've told you this for years. I had to learn early on, you know, I'm doing seminars and there'd be some lady sitting in the front row like this, just arms crossed. And I'd call it bitter beer face. Remember there was a commercial and they'd have the, and there'd be another person sitting next to this lady and it'd be like this. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And nodding and agreeing with everything and so on and so forth. And at the end of the event, you know, we used to do these free seminars that encouraged people, hey, if you'd like more of this, I'll be back in town in a month. Come and hear me at a two-day event and you'd pay a few bucks to go to that. The amount of times that the smiley, agreeable person just bolted out the door and bitter beer face was the first person to sign up. And what happens though? You're on stage, you're insecure, and I'm getting this bitter beer face. You find yourself giving the entire presentation to bitter Beerface. I'm going to get you to like me. And you don't know she's already bought in and fired up. And and by the way, smiley, happy girl who's nodding her head the whole time. She is just agreeing with everything you say, but she's not actually hearing anything you say. And so people often and all of us are a little bit challenged sometimes of what we say. I mean, have you ever had this happen? I know it happened in my home where I said something and I got a reaction that was surprising to me from one of my kids or a family member and so on and forth. I go, hold on, that was a little different or a little more pragmatic than I wanted to be. Like that did not get the reaction I thought of. And instead of realizing, oh, there's something wrong with them, I, I've often thought, geez, I wonder what my facial expression was like. I wonder what my body language was. We used to say about our kids sometimes they would obey but not obey. So sometimes they would be sitting down on the outside but standing up on the inside. Well, your body language can do that. So you just got to be aware, just aware that you're communicating with everything. Mm-hmm that's
0: powerful stuff she talked about vocal inflection uh i've been around real strengths our real strengths profile 2002 that's where i first started working in this company brian two decades ago so in in that in real strengths we figure out people's natural areas of strength i wrote down some notes on this because it kind of really tripped off the thought listening to her so we we figure out their natural areas of strength and there's one in particular communication style obviously so you're either aesthetic so you hear the tone of a message, how words are said, or, or you're pragmatic. That's the opposite, where you're hearing the content of a message first. So you're hearing what was said rather than how it was said. So many debates I think I could have avoided if I would known that over the years. Um, I do know you well, though. You're very pragmatic, and you're the main promoter for Buffco, right? For this company, you're the main guy bringing people in. But 60% of our clientele is aesthetic. So they're the opposite to your communication style. Yet every single person walking away from an event goes, he was talking just to me. He He was speaking just to me today. So how do you withhold your particular cues and connect so that you can reach people who are maybe not like you at all?
1: Right. So like for me, my mission, the company's mission is to impact and improve the lives of people. And I'm typically on the front end doing the impacting. So I impact through events, through speaking engagements, or most, now a lot through this podcast and other media I do. So that's the impact. And then all the improvement comes with the training and the coaching afterwards. Now, my fire burns hot to impact and improve the lives of people. My, my daughter was asking me the other day, and there was a young man I was helping out. And she goes, well, why are you helping this guy? I was just communicating it to her in, in very easygoing terms. And next thing you know, you ever get yourself caught emotionally? And I had a hard time finishing the sentence. And my daughter's looking at me because that's not something she's used to seeing. You know, dad doesn't tear up very often type thing. And I was trying to communicate to her. So you know, uh, I didn't have anyone to help me. I had mentors who were all from a distance. You know, I had Zig Ziglar's and Jim Rohn's and it was, I bought their tapes or went to a seminar. And the passion that I have to impact people is more important than my own personal style. And so. Once you realize that my own personal style could be a barrier to reaching people. So you've got to be authentically yourself, but then I'm also in the service business. So what will I do? I'll be conscious of my tone. I'll tell stories that bring emotion. I'll use illustrations that give people great sense. And that's why so many people go, Oh, Brian's aesthetic just like I'm aesthetic, right? And it's because I tell stories that I can really relate to, but I'm also extremely pragmatic. And the pragmatic approach is, Hey, I want to impact people. And so if I end up speaking the way I, if I can only speak to people who are like me, then I only get half the audience. I'll communicate it this way. Michael Jordan, years ago, there was a story where he was asked to come and speak out for a political candidate. And he said, hey, Republicans buy shoes too. And he got kind of eviscerated for this, right? Because he was like, hey, I'm promoting shoes and I donate money, but my political stuff is behind the scenes. And I, I think today, like, if people realized, whether it be their political views or whatever, like, people might be the Oscars, and they come out and I go, man, they're only speaking to their own constituents, and I, doesn't everybody go to the movies? You know, as like, oh, wow, you're just limiting your market to make your point across. People do this on social media. I know people who've lost business because they're so outspoken on social media that they're alienating people left, right, and center. And oh, by the way, alienating people who could be great customers and great friends and have great relationships. You and I couldn't be any more different, but we're like, you know, chalk and cheese in so many things, but we're like peanut butter and jelly when it comes to working and talking and so on and so forth. So you just miss out on so many people. So you gotta know your style, know your cues is what Vanessa talks about, know other people's cues, and how do you reach them? How do you communicate them? And and at the end of the day, you want to bring everybody in. That's how I think about it anyway.
0: No, for sure, Brian. I mean, I feel like you always manage to get everybody on board the ship. And uh, certainly, I mean, if you live by labels, you'd never talk to anybody. I mean, you'd find your, your, your one other maze on the planet and that'd be it. Right. What do they call that? The
1: echo chambers. And, the echo right, chambers, And that's what yeah. we do today. And now we have phones right. that only get us that information. We have the YouTubes and the social media that circle it around and circle it around. And that's why people are so shocked. No doubt. When somebody votes a different way or if somebody has a difference of opinion, like they're shocked. But you got to be a moron. you got to be an idiot. And then they start using these terms to describe fellow people because they just have no exposure. No exposure. Because they're in an echo chamber in their friends, echo chamber on the media, echo chamber social media, echo chamber on what they read, what they listen to. By the way, if if we want to grow and expand as a human being, you got to be able to relate to all people. If you want to grow and expand your business, you better be able to relate to all people. And you can do that without any compromise of values or beliefs. You know, you just have a conversation and connect. And again. We're, we're talking about those kinds of things, but the cues that are out there, you got to watch your own cues so you're not off-putting and making people feel awkward. And then you ultimately realize what's their cues so you can connect and relate to people.
0: She talked about charisma being a blend of warmth and competence. That was a, it was a really nice take on it. But she said it had to begin with warmth. That, that signals the openness to begin with.
1: Yeah, that's good stuff. You know, obviously, you know, I come from the Stephen Covey school, which is very pragmatic, by the way. And, is you know, you build trust by demonstrating of your character and the illustration of your competence. And she has, she added a new wrinkle to that with this whole dynamic of warmth. And she talked about vulnerability and that warmth builds trust. And I thought that was pretty cool. And then she also talked about the, the research, which proved all along that Covey was right. I, I would say this. Her subtitle of her book is Master the Secret Language of Charismatic Communication. I would say, okay, people see me on stage, he's a charismatic guy. Uh, you're kind of a charismatic guy. You you lead a band, and if the Rolling Stones called you up tomorrow and said, hey, Dave, we want you to open up, you'd be like, right, I'd be there. Yeah, right. And it, it wouldn't terrify you. Now, when I asked you to come here and, and ask, be the voice of the audience, you were like, eh, what? So, you know, she talked about, you know, some very specific dynamics of, your own charismatic style. And I I think that's very, very important. And I think most people don't see themselves as charismatic. And I think what she's truly trying to describe is an attractiveness. You can be attractive in your own way. And you and I couldn't be any different, but we have different types of charisma. You're probably not going to walk out to 10,000 people like I did here recently and have an auditorium and the previous speaker didn't show up, and I had to do an extra hour, and then we opened it up to questions with cameras and this and any other at the end and you know most people would be terrified by that similarly, if I was asked to open up for the Rolling Stones, I might have a bit of an issue myself. I'd feel like you'd give it a go though. I would Oh yeah, you know I'd, I'd sing the Rattlin bog and a few other Danny boy, you know people'd be crying, but um, crying for it to be over but I think ultimately I think it's about putting yourself in the best position possible, right? Mm. and what works for you? Right, You know, I think about Jack Benny. Jack Benny was wildly charismatic, and Jack Benny would come out on stage and say almost nothing. So you could be an outgoing person, you could be an introverted person, you could be a talker, you could be a listener. There's many different ways. It's about finding, you know, where, where is that juice? You know, where do you connect with people? And in fact, you remember this, Dave, I guess it was six years ago, we had an engineer in here to help us build this studio. So we flew him in from Nashville. This guy's this brilliant studio engineer. We were spending a ton of money to build this thing out. And you remember? I do. We were walking around and this guy was literally, he was a tech tech engineer sound specialist. And he like, he couldn't look me in the eye, remember? And I, I tried to engage him in a conversation and he was looking down, he was looking away from me and he'd mumbled a few answers. And I was trying to be nice to him. The more I was trying to be nice to him, the more I seemed to be putting him under pressure. So I kind of backed off and you know, try to create a bit more comfort for him. And, you know, Danny, you know, our other producer here made him one of his Colombian coffees. And next thing you know, he was talking about Colombian coffee. And so we found out what his cue was. And then he starts opening up and he said, oh yeah, I have a podcast myself. And I looked at you and I was like, this fella has a podcast. Like this guy couldn't get two sentences out. This guy was as nervous (laughs) and as shy a human being as I ever met. I remember. He goes, yeah, yeah, you got 150,000 people every week and, I'm like, huh? Like it took me a long time to get to 150,000. <laughs> what? Here's the dynamic. He was speaking on his specialty. He was a yeah. specialist in sound engineering. He has 150,000 probably people, very similar to him, who are very techy who wanted to hear this cool stuff and the coolest, latest tech and so on and so forth. And here's the thing. The guy that couldn't look me in the eye was radically shy, has a huge following as a podcast because he's found his own style, his own flavor. Of charisma. And you wouldn't think he was charismatic. So its I think it's really about how do you connect with people and how can you put yourself in the best position possible to do that. And and that's what he was doing with his program.
0: Obviously, it works for the show. But meeting him and just day to day, that was awkward. I mean, it it took a really long time. You've told the story and you were very nice. It was awkward. Like we were (laughs) not getting anything back there. And, And Vanessa talked about how... It's imbalance that can trap us. And he probably is a guy who was a little bit imbalanced on the warmth side. He was all about the competence. (laughs) So she said those who are high in competence, uh, you know, all these really smart students that she sees, they tend to double down on competence when they face a challenge, which doesn't help them.
1: Which is not just technical application. It's also an integrity application. You know, people who want to just do great work. You know, my dad is kind of like that. My dad was like, the work will speak for itself. And he would pour himself into doing great work. Can you put your name to that? And I realized, yes, the work will speak for itself, but the work also needs a little help. So when people are under pressure, as we talk about in Real Strengths, more of their profile becomes who they are. So under pressure and total relaxation. And so what happens is somebody is trying to do business. And and I told the story of the football player who had met the other salesperson who introduced him to his lender. And then there was going through, oh, here's the three, two, one, buy down, and here's the five-year mortgage, and here's this, and here's that. And in the meantime, there was an emotional need he had, which is in the back of his mind, he's like, oh my gosh, I had a credit card that was a problem when I was in college. And he's walked with a limp that whole time. And now he's talking to this guy, and now he's even more embarrassed because I'm the number one draft choice, and I'm a multimillionaire, and it's going to be on the news. He missed the cue of the emotional need. So he didn't have the warmth to demonstrate the competence. And because of that, he didn't get the deal. But I led with warmth. I found out what the emotional need was, and then I could apply the competence. And so, you know, character competence, I could talk about with Covey. I love her application, the warmth. And she's an extremely warm person. I actually would say this. If you look at her book, she's got this kind of cover the book. And you say, don't judge a book by the cover. That's totally true. And I know she has a marketing team and a design team, and she's got these cues she's signaling. She's like a superbly warm human being. She's extremely engaging. And I had a conversation with her. I'm like, man, we got to book this gal an event. we got to have her. This is great. She was, it was a super interview. I had a great time. And even for her, I would say, you know, I think the book cover doesn't reflect who she is. Now, again, it might be the messaging they're trying to communicate. And who knows? Maybe that's more highfalutin marketing than I understand. But at the end of the day, we have these cues. We have these communications. You need the warmth. You need the competence. I love what's in the book. The cover of the book needed more warmth for me.
0: Well, cues of enormous power, as she said, uh, she shared. uh, Pretty interestingly, she said that naming a negative cue can actually deactivate it, which was pretty interesting. She also cautioned us to be aware. She gave some nice tips on that, of the cues that we are sending out. And then she talked about the resting bothered face.
1: Right. And and that's why, by the way, I I was just talking about the book. Like that's an extreme self-deprecating humor at our own expense. Uh, which is what led her down the road, you know, when she said, I was socially awkward and I miss people cues. That's why, like when I say the book cover, I I think it could be warmer because I find her extremely engaging that way. When she said, you know, when you just lead with the confidence, people are suspicious, right? I think for her, that dynamic of realizing she was missing cues, she was misreading people and that people were misreading her, led her down the path. And again, out of your pain comes your passion. So she was like, hey, I just had this interaction. These people don't like me. And her husband's like, no, no, you missed it. And again, I think another little encouragement there that she didn't say, but I was thinking when she was talking about Dave, something that's a weakness can become your greatest strength if you develop the skill. So when she said, I don't read cues, I thought people were mad at me. I have the, what's the droopy face, resting bothered face, right? That's a strength of her. Because here's the thing. I did a podcast with her for 30 minutes. She was extremely engaging, extremely positive, and extremely authentic. It wasn't a phony deal. And so 17 years ago, she had a tremendous weakness that is now not only a strength, she's kind of the world leader on it. She's doing TED Talks in London and doing books and shows and so on and so forth. So I think the hope for all of us is whatever weakness we have, we can overcome it, and whatever gap we have in our communication, we can develop the skills in it. you know So she had a lot of great things. you know when she gives a little how- tos, it's important to me. You know, I, I really kind of hooked on that, you know, say, hey, like, I'm happy to be here. That's what she does. And to counteract it. Yeah. yeah. Be verbal
0: about like, yeah. what was it she said? Figure out your default. Right. You know, figure out what is your resting yeah. face yeah, and then be verbal about it and, and to counteract. Right. it, So let people know that you're happy to be here.
1: And then little go into the closet and, and video yourself and what you had for breakfast yesterday, just to observe yourself. And then your most embarrassing story because you'll see what you're like when you're being uncomfortable and you're in an uncomfortable spot. Wild. Great technique.
0: Yeah. Not something you ever probably would have dreamed up doing no, yourself. No. <laughs> Although if you did, I'd be worried about you. Right. Uh, great stuff, Brian. Yeah, you, you mentioned Vanessa being on a stage and uh, maybe Mastermind next year. She, she'd be something else. Could so, be. Uh, for those of, of you who've never been to Mastermind, it's actually next month. It's August here in San Diego. I've been to 20 of them. And it is a life-altering cauldron of madness and energy. Uh, I don't know how else to say it. I remember a comment I made to you following one particular mastermind. Uh, We were at a team dinner, and I I, I excused myself. I went outside. I said, I have to call Brian. I called you, and I said, that was amazing, but it's a great shame that only 3,000 people got to see that amazing content in that room.
1: By the way, you're missing a social cue because I just poured my heart and soul out on stage for two and a half days. Brought in these world speakers and myself and pouring it in, and people are going bananas. And then I finish, and I don't talk to anybody, right? I mean, sometimes you remember we used to do the meet and greets, and they would last six and seven hours, so I had to stop that. And the, my only feedback is Lally would call me and go, "Yeah, it's a shame only three thousand, shame only four thousand, shame only five thousand people heard that." And it used to be like, and again, I got the spirit of it, but it was always the head drop, you know. But yeah. it's ultimately what led to the podcast because initially when we started this program it was to replay live events because I was doing all the time. And we were like, hey, only so many, we would do our peak experience and people go, best stuff I ever heard, life-changing. And uh, geez, only a few people heard it. So in many ways, that comment led to what we do today. And, uh, you know, we've seen, uh, what, 15 million people have downloaded the podcast in 170 countries. So thank you for missing the cue and bruising me, David, with those words. I
0: just don't think you're bruisable by me. (laughs) I don't think I can get through. I've tried. <laughs> <laughs> I think you just pretend sometimes. Read like the book.
1: Going, Read the book.
0: <laughs> so you're not a robot is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, listeners, uh, we're, we're never too busy. For any of your referrals. Sure. So uh, there's hundreds of past episodes uh, your friends can sink their teeth into if you want to get into It's a Good Life and previously known as the Brian Buffini Show. I always enjoy these follow-up digests, Brian. It's a lovely way to kind of revisit an interview and go deeper. Uh, it's something I've, I feel like you do so well, which is take apart content and, and, and hand it back to us again. So appreciate it. Thanks to you. And we'll see you next time on It's a Good Life podcast. Made the road... Rise up to meet you, and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields, and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time.